Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya So we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 4, Texts 22 and 23. Hiranyakashipu terrorizes the universe. Tashyai namo stukakastayai Yatra mahiri ishwadaha Yatgatva nanivartante Santa Sanyasi Somala 
iti samyatmana iti samyatatamana samahita diyomala uptasur rishikesham vinidravayu bhojanaha Tasjai namos tu kastyaitya Yatratma hari ishvaraha Yatgatvani nifartante Santa sanyasino mala Iti te samayatmana Samahita Dio Malaha Upatastu Hirishikesham Vinidravayu Bhojanaha Yatrahari Ishvaraha Yadgadvanani Vartante Satasasini Omeha Itite Samyatmanaha Samahita Diomala Upatasu Rishikesham Vinidravayu Bhojanaha Lena Sudhusaya Yatra Mahari Ishvaraha Yadgatva Nani Vartante Santa Sanyasino Malaha Itite Samyatamatmanaha Samahita Dio Malaha Upatastu Rishikesham Vinindraya Bhujanaha Ladies Yamosta Kataye Yatatma Hari Ishvaraha Yatgatvana Nivartante Santa Sanya Sinomala Itite Samya Atmanaha Samahita Diomalaha Upastu Rishikesham Vinidravayu Bhojanaha Katmaya Nautus Kataye Yatrama Hari Ishvaraha Yadgatva Nani Vartante Santa Sanya Sino Manaha Itite Samyatatmanaha Samahitiyo Malaha Itisham Tasyai Unto that, 
Namaha. Our respectful obeisances. Us too. Let there be. Kashatyai. Direction. Yatra. Wherein. Atma. The super soul. Uh, Hari. The Supreme Personality of Godhead. Ishwaraha, the Supreme Controller. Yat, which. Gatva, approaching. Na, never. Nenivartante, return. Santa, peaceful. Sanyasina, saintly persons in the renounced order of life. Amala, pure. Iti, thus. Te, they. Samyatmanaha, having controlled minds. Samahita, steadied. Diya, in intelligences. Amala, purified. Uptasahu, uh, worshipped. Rishikesham, master of the senses. Vinidra, without sleeping. Vayu Bojanaha, eating only air. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace Srila Prabhupada. Let us offer our respectful obeisances unto the direction where the Supreme Personality of Godhead is situated. With those purified souls in the renounced order of life, the great saintly persons go, and from which, having gone, they never return. Without sleep, fully controlling their minds and living only on their breath, the predominating deities of the various planets began worshipping Rishikesh in this meditation. Purport. Uh, the two words, tashai kashatyai, is very significant. Everywhere, in every direction, in every heart and in every atom, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is situated in his feature as Brahman and Paramatma. Then what is the purpose of saying tashai kashatyai in that direction where Hari is situated? During Hiranyakashipu's time, his influence was everywhere but he could not force his influence into places where the Supreme Personality of Godhead had his pastimes. For example, on this earth, there are such places as Vrindavan and Ayodhya, which are called dharmas. In the dharm, there is no influence of Kali Yuga or any demon. If one takes shelter of such a dharm, worship of the Lord becomes very easy and the resultant spiritual advancement quickly takes place. In fact, in India, one may still go to Vrindavan and similar places to achieve the results of spiritual activities very, very quickly. Omagana timirandasya gananjana salakaya chakshura militamina tasmai shri gurave namaha vanchakalpaturubhyasya kripasindabhyeva chapatitanam pavanebhyavashnabhyavya namo namaha Sri Krishna Jaitanya Prabhunichananda Sri Advaita Galatara Shivasadi Gora Bhaktabinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare 
Yeah, it's really nice to be here in Melbourne Temple. We spend so much time in the western suburbs. Uh, to be here is really a treat to see the deities and have your association. Although there's not many people here at the moment, they're all preparing for uh, the big festival today. Yeah. So this is a really interesting verse. And uh, when we analyse the purport that Prabhupada's giving here, he's saying that the, the sages, these great sages, these predominating deities on, on these different planets, um, had their prayers in direction, but what direction is that? We understand that God is everywhere, as Prabhupada is saying, that Krishna is the cause of all causes. And it's interesting in science nowadays, uh, we're finding that in uh, quantum physics, the minute field of quantum field, they're breaking down smaller and smaller and smaller particles to basically a vibrationary quality. And there's no end to it. They're realizing now that the further they go, the more they haven't discovered. And so they go deeper and deeper and deeper. But the scientists are now coming to the understanding that there must be a cause behind everything. So Krishna is actually the cause of all causes. And so what they're calling it now is that, un that, that quality or that finite point, that, that end point, if there is such a thing, uh, they call it the God particle. And so this is the way scientists are now thinking. So from this purport we ask, what is the direction? Haranyakashipu couldn't enter into this particular area. He couldn't enter everywhere, you know. Uh, he could enter everywhere. He was so powerful. As uh, David Rita Maharaj was explaining in the various classes that he gave, he was just so powerful. He controlled everything, basically speaking. Um, and he, Maharaj was making the example that, you know, you have great leaders in the world today and in the past that were supposedly great powerful personalities, but in actuality, as he was describing, they're simply a mere speck in compared to Hiranyakashipu. So power, very powerful personality. So where couldn't he enter? And as pointed out here, he couldn't enter into the spiritual world. He couldn't enter that place uh, where devotional service is going on. So he's very powerful, but not all-powerful. He actually is limited, and uh, he had no power over the spiritual realm. So in areas, Prabhupada is pointing out that there are areas within the material world, actually, that are, which Prabhupada sometimes called embassies of the spiritual world. So places like Holy Dham, like Vrindavan and Ayodhya and Jagannathpuri, they're all places where the worship of the Lord is going on and uh, the Lord is present there. So the Sanskrit meaning of the word Dham actually means abode or residence, a place of laughter or radiance. In the scriptures, however, they refer to Dham as a place of residence for the Lord, so a holy Dham. Sometimes we go to the Holy Dharma in India and this is sometimes very perplexing for a devotee because, you know, you go with great expectations. I remember when we first went to India, first time, back in 1982, I think, was the first time that we went to India. And, uh, you know, we were told all about the Holy Dharma, that this was actually the spiritual realm on earth and, and it was just like, wow, we're going there, you know. And when we actually arrived there, we could see so many contrast, 
contrary things that were like, is this the dam? You know, we, we asked, you know, there was so much rubbish and dirt and everything. So we asked, can this be, how can this be an embassy of the Lord? How can this be the abode of the Lord? So those living entities that are there in the Holy Dharma, like Vrindavan, they can be on the Dharma, but not necessarily living in the Dharma. And that's where the difference is. Because it's only those residents that are partaking of the spiritual uh, experience in the Holy Dharma that actually are really living in the Dharma. There are others that are living on the Dharma, like at the moment, like when we first went to Vrindavan, it was still very rural. It was dirty in some places, but it was very rural. And then later as we went, all these big uh, executives from Delhi, they built their homes there and everything, and it was so much more developed. And I'm sure that if we went there now, that it'd be even more so, with high-rises and pretty well everything everywhere, you know? So... Um, you have to be actually having a spiritual experience to appreciate the Dharma. And it happens. Even that first time we were there, first of all, we were quite illusioned by the whole thing. So this is the spiritual realm. But as we went, and of course, we had the beautiful temple there, you know, that Prabhupada established there. So that filled us with, with enthusiasm, spiritual enthusiasm. And then... We also had the classes and the association of advanced devotees. And then we went out into Vrindavan and then you could actually feel it. At that stage, the Krishna Balaram tree was still there. Is that still there? No, such a pity. And you could walk these tracks behind the temple and you could feel it, that this is the spiritual realm where Krishna was residing you know, the dust was so, so amazing, it actually glistened. And, you know, then you walk down this path and the trees were there and you heard the cuckoos and the cows were in the distance. You really started to feel this is the, yeah, this is the spiritual realm. And this is, you really had that feeling. And then you came across the Jamuna, you know, and this beautiful river was flowing very strongly at that stage. And I remember I was with a sannyasi at that stage and we took bath there and we're just sitting on the banks of the Jamuna with just our eyes closed after taking bath. And you, I, you know, even thinking about it, I get goosebumps. It was just so transcendentally inspiring. That's the Holy Dharma. So you, you have to be in the Holy Dharma, spiritually in the Holy Dharma to appreciate the Holy Dharma. So like Vrindavan, uh, we have to make the endeavor to uh, really appreciate the Dharma. Now also it's said that the Dharma is a very holy place to actually leave your body. As it's pointed out in the scriptures, if you leave your body in the holy Dharma, you go back home, back to Godhead. And a lot of people make that endeavor to actually go back there. Recently we had the example, the amazing example of my dear friend, His Holiness Kadambakanana Maharaj, leaving his body in Vrindavan, knowing that he was going to pass away and just surrendering everything. To me, Kadambakanana Maharaj was such a hero, you know, that he understood that this was happening and he just surrendered to it and stayed in the Holy Dharma until it was all finished. Glorious death, 
and for sure he went straight back home, back to Godhead. Others, you have other people that are living in the Dharma <laughs> and they've been there their whole lives and everything and then when the point of death comes, the family says, quick, get him to Delhi and then he dies in Delhi. <laughs> it's like, what a pity. So from the scriptures, the main qualification for a place to become a whole, to become holy or to become a dharm is that the Lord or his pure devotees have appeared or had pastimes there. So all those different places were where the Lord is or the Lord had pastimes there. So several other things constitute a holy place or a dharm. And I just want to read a couple of things that uh, are in the scriptures. A devotee must have performed or be performing spiritual activities in the place. This is an, an analysis of the holy dharm. And the theatre must be visited by sadhus and saintly people. In fact, the Vedic scriptures state that a person who visits even the historically bona fide places of pilgrimage only takes birth, only, only to take bath, is no better than a cow or an ass. Visiting a theatre means associating with saintly persons in attendance. Chanaka Pandit warns that we should avoid a place devoid of saintly persons and a place bereft of talk of Krishna or God and service to him cannot claim a holy, holy place status. Number two, by visiting a theatre, we should feel enlivened in our Krishna consciousness. The theatre should carry that potency so we should really feel enlivened. Number three, from the scriptures again, it says that the chanting of the holy name must be present as a prominent feature of a theater. Concurrent with that should be deity worship. And Srila Prabhupada told the devotees that he established various deities around the world and he worried that his disciples would begin to feel the worship was a burden or, or uh, a pain in the neck, as Prabhupada would say. But if the deity worship is going on uninterrupted and the devotees in the area are taking shelter of the deities, that place becomes a theater. That place becomes a holy place. I was speaking to uh, the former temple president of Melbourne Temple yesterday and he was relating to us how he was there when Radha Gopinath in Sydney came with Prabhupada. And this was at the very early stages of Krishna consciousness here in Australia. And Balaram Prabhu was telling me that Prabhupada installed the deities, inspired God to come into the deity form there in, in Sydney. And when he left, he said, he prayed to the Lord, my dear Lord, I'm leaving you in the land of the Malechas. You've got to look after yourself. So this was the start of Krishna consciousness here in, in the West, in, in Australia. And so this is what we have to, but the devotees took charge. And they followed Prabhupada's instructions very strictly and Radha Gopinatha being worshipped so, so great, you know, as is the case here in Melbourne Temple as well. So again, Prabhupada defined a holy place is wherever the Srimad Bhagavatam is being honoured. <laughs> that might be in a large temple, Prabhupada states, or under a tree. So when we're discoursing the Srimad Bhagavatam, that becomes a holy place becomes a sanctuary. It may be in India, it may be elsewhere, but wherever there is a respectful and repeated reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam, that place becomes holy. 
So the other night we were celebrating Ram Nomi at the Wyndham Centre. Some of my colleagues are here today from Wyndham. And, um, and this was performed in a function hall. So you know a function hall, this is just an everyday run-of-the-mill function hall. It's called De-Celebration. There's a big celebration happening there today as well for His Holiness Jayapataka Maharaja's Vyasa Puja. And this hall has all sorts of nonsense going on there. You know, they have, I think the one they had last night was for the Grand Prix. There was a whole big ceremony and service for the Grand Prix. So, you know, it can vary and there are all different religious organisations also and there's meat eating going on there and alcohol and everything. So we utilised that place for Ram Nomi and for special occasions in this function hall, which is, uh, which is, as I said, all sorts of nonsense goes on. But by the devotees being there, uh, it becomes a theatre. It becomes a holy place. Five, over 500 people turned up last, on that night for Ram Nomi, and they were transfixed in a spiritual environment. Literally, they were transfixed. Half the, uh, half the attendants were non were, haven't, have never been to Hare Krishna. I, we just wasn't it, Prabhu? It was at least half, or quite a considerable amount of new people came to the center, which was amazing, really. And, um, and they were transfixed because it became a holy place because the chanting was going on there, the deity worship was going on there, hearing of scriptures was taking place, and of course, prasadam was being served. So the devotees went to a great effort to transfer this place into a holy dharm. So the holy name brings people to a holy, holy dharm. Calling out on the Lord, that's what brings people. So you can be sitting under a tree and as soon as you start teaching Krishna consciousness, that becomes a very sacred place. So it is the mission of all devotees to be both diligently chanting their rounds with attention, so you have potency to be able to attract people, as well as reaching out to others, you have to reach out. It's not good enough that you're nicely chanting your rounds by yourself. You also have to extend yourself and uh, preach to other people, present this knowledge to other people and get them in some way or another uh, to find that solace in chanting the holy names of the Lord. The world at the moment is in a terrible state, you know, uh, we can see all over the world there's conflicts, trouble, uh, political unrest, um, confusion. People are confused. The general mass of people are confused. And so the solace for them is to hear about Krishna, to partake in some Krishna conscious activity by reading Srila Prabhupada's books or hearing the holy name of Krishna. So this solace has to be given to them. And a wonderful example of how the potency of this chanting of Hare Krishna can change people's lives uh, is our dear friend uh, Radhanath, uh, not Radhanath, Radha Charan Prabhu and his wife Krishna Premi in China. So Radha Charan Prabhu used to be a devotee living here, just like one of us. He was doing artis and leading kirtans. Very, very wonderful devotee. He took up the challenge to preach in China. Now China is one of those places that's very much 
uh, covered. And spirituality is actually very, very difficult to perform there. But somehow or other, by the grace of Srila Prabhupada and his spiritual master's encouragement, they are pushing on the preaching. And so their diligence, number one, they diligently chant their own rounds. They're very, very fixed up in their spiritual life. And they're slowly bringing people around to chanting the holy name. So their program, if anybody ever checks them out on Facebook, their program is absolutely amazing. They encourage people first and foremost theologically. They compare their teachings to the teachings of Taoism uh, or Confucianism and then they bring in Bhagavad Gita and they have discourses online with Bhagavad Gita. They have a, a network of people using the internet, a network of people that they preach to and in a very, very gentle way they bring in this preaching of Krishna consciousness to these people. He's written a number of books now which again people in Chinese which people appreciate and uh, he, uh, he uh, uh, acknowledges the previous scriptures that they have so he's not contrary to them but he fits in Bhagavad Gita wherever he can and both of them uh, encourage people to do yoga because yoga is very popular in uh, China and obviously for the original reason of being physically fit but then he adds the other aspects to it and introduces bhakti yoga and slowly he gets them to start chanting japa saying that this is, this is the epitome of yoga this is the highest point of yoga bhakti yoga and then the calling of god's holy name is the highest point of of bhakti yoga so then they they accept that and they start chanting and then he does an amazing thing he organizes tours to the holy dham and he takes them, jet loads of people, you know, like at least 30 or 40 people go to the Holy Dharms, all the different places, Jagannath Puri. And what he does is, as Prabhupada was pointing out, a Holy Dharm is where the saintly people are and the saintly people are teaching. So he arranges with all, he arranges with all these senior devotees, Burjan Prabhu and uh, uh, all the different people at these different holy places to take them to all the places so they don't even see the negative side of the holy dharm. They just see the, the spiritual side. So they're actually in the dharm. And then these people take this back to China and it's growing exponentially. It's just growing and growing and people are becoming... Uh, I mean, there's a billion people in China. But the effect is, is that so many people are becoming interested in Krishna consciousness. And, uh, and then the other thing that he does, one of the things that he wins them over with, because when Radha Charan was here, uh, he was an expert cook. He studied under Korma. When Korma used to have vegetarian cooking classes, it was Radha Charan would always be his, his go-to man. So at Gopal's we used to have Korma's cooking classes and, and Radha Charan would be helping Korma. So he learnt how to present Krishna, uh, Krishna Prasadam in a really nice way and how to cook it. So Chinese people love to eat and they're blown out by really amazing food stuff. So this is one of the first things that he does. He has these cooking courses, these cooking classes and then he introduces the rest. So he's very, very expert. So this is our duty. 
to somehow or other encourage people in different ways, but ultimately to have that association and eventually, if possible, go to the Holy Dharma. So then we have the situation where you have great saintly people, and especially in the case of His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada, they leave the Holy Dharma. They actually leave the Holy Dharma. Uh, left Vrindavan at a very old age, a senior age of 69, 70 years old, uh, to deliver the message of Lord Chaitanya to the fallen world. So he realized the benefit of uh, the Holy Dharma and the scriptures and under the instructions of his spiritual master, he, was, he went out and, and uh, through his writings, through Prabhupada's books, he wanted to establish holy theatres all over the world where people could find solace. And thus we have the centres all over the world at the moment. So the devotees wanted to compose another pranam for Srila Prabhupada. And uh, because, you know, uh, the first one, they, Prabhupada, we want to have another pranam for you. So Prabhupada helped them to compose this pranam. Namaste Saraswati Devam Gauravani Pracharine Nevisesha Shunyavadi Pachachadi Shatarine. Our obeisances, respectful obeisances unto you, O spiritual master, servant of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami, you are kindly preaching the message of Lord Chaitanya and delivering the Western countries, which are filled with impersonalism and voidism. So, more so today than ever before is voidism and, and impersonalism. And it's not an easy task to present Krishna consciousness, especially in Prabhupada's age, at his age. It becomes very difficult. Uh, there was a class given by Gopa Vrindesh yesterday, and a very nice class actually, I have to say. And he explained how Prahlad Maharaj was advising his schoolmates, preach while you are strong, stout, because soon you'll be old and will be an embarrassment as you get older. And I have to say, boy, is that ever true. <laughs> it happens far too quickly. I can remember, I mean, it seems like yesterday that I was sitting as a young man's body here in this temple room, no problem sitting cross-legged. Oh, Easy. How long do you want me to sit here? Hours of lectures and everything. And then before you know it, and I was speaking to Mathura Manohar also, and he, he's eight years younger than me, and you know he was saying that it's amazing how quickly the body starts to deteriorate, and this starts not happening, and that's not functioning anymore, and the legs cramp up, and the eyes are no good, and this and that. So while you're young, if you get the opportunity to preach, this is an exceptional thing. So Prabhupada had these difficulties. He, he, was, he actually was my age when he went to the West. And so I know there are so many difficulties. Prabhupada had three heart attacks on the way to the West. And still he pressed on, taking shelter of the Lord and asking for the Lord for protection. So this brings up an interesting point that I wanted to mention. Prabhupada was exceptionally brave, you know. His actions were such brave actions. To leave a secure place like Vrindavan, where he knows he'll go back home to Godhead and take on the challenge that his spiritual master had given to him and go and alleviate the suffering of so many living entities out there in the big wide world. And Prabhupada did it. Uh, the night... 
when we had the uh, Ram Nomi festival at Wyndham, I was asked to give a short talk. And one of the things I was saying, I was right, mentioning the qualities of Lord Ram and the qualities that we could, uh, 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 you know, in, endeavor to uh, take part in, become part of, you know. And uh, so I pointed that, that uh, one of them was that Lord Ram was exceptionally brave. Uh, his bravery was just amazing. He took on all challenges. And, uh, and we also, as a devotee, we should be abai, fearless, and push on the preaching and engage people in service to the Lord and encourage them to chant the holy names. We have to be actually very brave. Now, when you analyze what bravery is, there are three types of bravery. And a materialist may possess one of these or a combination of them. The first one is physical bravery. Physical bravery. That's a person like a firefighter, a policeman, a soldier. You know, they're brave. They go into battle to fight. The next one is psychological bravery. Facing painful aspects of oneself. It's brave to confront the negativities within our own body in our own person, person, personality. And the final one is moral bravery. Moral bravery is speaking up for what's right, even if it is unfavorable opinion of others. Standing up for what's right. So as a devotee, we have to be brave in the service of God and be proud to show we are a lover of God. This means quite a lot, actually. We don't take it for granted. We don't hide it. We are Hare Krishna devotees. And we have to be brave to do that. A devotee should have these qualities of bravery, not just one or two, but all of them. A devotee should be physically brave when they're doing sankirtan, whatever the consequences, we go out there and distribute God's mercy, Krishna's mercy. So I remember those of you that have ever done sankirtan, or book distribution, or Harinam, it takes a little bit of courage when you first come to Krishna consciousness. You have to be a little brave to do these things. I remember when I first came to Krishna consciousness, to go out on Harinam back in the 70s and 80s was like, today it's an accepted thing, people appreciate us, but back then people didn't appreciate us. That there were so many different cults and groups weird sort of things were happening and we were just another one of these weird groups. We were actually probably the weirdest of them all. <laughs> we wore dresses, we shaved our heads, you know we wore war paint and you know I mean in that stage to shave your head, nowadays to shave your head is, is nothing. You know it's like even the leader of the opposition has a shaved head, you know. But then everybody had long, nice, long hair. Even men were very proud of the way their hair would flow and had long hair. So when we shaved it off, it was just like, oh my God, what are you doing? My mother couldn't even bear to see me with a bald head. She made me, every time I came to their house, she made me have a beanie on. And, and, and she was so freaked out by me having no hair. Although my dad was balding, 
That was one thing. But to see her young son with a bald head, because she loved my head of hair, she would rub my head of hair. So I'd come, you know, and one day she finally said, okay, let me have a look. I said, Mama, you sure? She said, yeah. So I took it off. She said, put it back on, put it back on. <laughs> she couldn't bear it. So we have to be brave. We have to be physically brave. We actually saw ourselves in those days as the early devotees as soldiers of Srila Prabhupada. And we went out and we preached uh, and distributed books. Uh, and at that stage also there was a lot of confrontation with Christians and everything who were opposed to our teachings. And we had to do uh, also, at that stage we didn't have the sponsorship that we have now from the Indian community. We actually had to raise funds by selling paraphernalia. Now I've never liked to approach a person to sell something. It, it's like foreign to me. It's foreign to a lot of us to just cold call someone and just say, hey, would you like to buy something? It's like, you know. So it, it took a, a little bit of bravery, you know. And the other day we had uh, Gana Samudra Prabhu give a lecture at Wyndham. Uh, he gave a Sunday feast talk. It was a really nice talk. And he, he told us all about the exploits that we used to do from Sankirtan, you know, to, to raise Lakshmi for this temple. Not only raise Lakshmi for this temple, but raise Lakshmi for Mayapur and uh, a farming community. And so we used to go out and had these marathons. And we were so brave in those days, so brazen. Once you got over the initial shock, and if you were chanting your rounds diligently and you were hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, you were surcharged. You were surcharged from this holy Tirtha. And you went out there and you just, okay. So some devotees would be very hesitant. It took quite a bit of time. And a lot of them just stayed in the car. You know, <laughs> I'm not going out there. And, uh, and they needed a little bit of encouragement. I was one of them. And, uh, but then when you got out there and you found yourself, you're a soldier in Krishna's army, that was it. You would go for it. And we had these marathons where we had to raise a lot of money for both Mayapur and for the temple here. And again, Balaram Prabhu would be the commander-in-chief and he would designate where everybody goes. And we would go out until late at night, like Jnana Samudra Prabhu was saying, you know, you would be out there until about three o'clock at night trying to sell a product. The product that we used to sell, which we made the most money on, was paintings. Paintings that we got from Hong Kong. Hey, Arivo Prabhu. Paintings we got from Hong Kong at a very reasonable price <laughs> and sold them for a very exorbitant price. <laughs> and we would go everywhere, everywhere. We would go into picture theatres. We would go into pubs. We would go, and Ghana was saying, we would go into brothels. Because what's open at late at night, except nightclubs, theatres and brothels? So the devotees would actually go into brothels and, and sell paintings, you know, so transcendentally fixed. And, uh, you know, because this, we wanted to raise these funds for, for Krishna. So we would have it and we'd lay, we, you know, you'd be in the place there and the girl would be there, the, the lady that's, and she would say, okay, I'll see if any of the girls would like it. So you're waiting in this waiting room with all these other people that are going for some other reason. <laughs> 
And they would come in and, and they'd have a look at the paintings. You'd have them all displayed on the floor and they go, oh, I like that one. Give me 15 minutes and I'll come back and pay for that one. So th we were engaging them in Krishna consciousness. I remember, I think I've told this story once before, this is how brazen we were. We used to have pubs, you know, and, and uh, in the pubs we were selling paintings to the patrons in the pubs. So if anybody's ever been to a, a, a pub, a hotel, you know, they have the stage with the people and the band is playing and everybody's sitting around in tables drinking beer. And, and so the Sankirtan devotee would say, OK, I'm going to hit this place up. Now, we were banned from coming into hotels, so we used to go in there and crawl underneath the tables, <laughs> right? And then we'd pull at somebody's leg and say, hey, you know, from down below the table, and say, Psst. And the guy would go, what? And he'd look down and he'd say, want to buy a painting? <laughs> and and you'd, you'd show them under the table like this, right? Ooh, that one's nice. I'll buy that one. $200. Okay, I'll buy it, you know, and then roll up the roll again and to the next table. Hey, you want to buy a painting? <laughs> These are the things we used to do. The ladies used to also do Sankirtan with flowers. And they would go in the picture theatre, right, in the middle of a movie, right? And people are sitting there, they've got their girlfriend here and all this kind of stuff. And they'd crawl between the aisles and say, want to buy a flower? So whatever, it took bravery you know, to do these things and bravery to open up centers and bravery to uh, present Krishna consciousness in different fields at universities and everything. So these were the things that uh, we did. So we had to be physically brave. And a devotee has to still be physically brave. We have to be, we have to take risks for Krishna consciousness. We can't be, we can't be complacent in our Krishna consciousness. We can't just say, yeah, this is all very nice. We have the deities here. It's all nicely set up. We're coffee Asa Puja today. And if you, if you could just imagine the bravery of a person like Jayapataka Maharaj, whose Vyasa Puja it is today, such bravery that he actually takes on so much burden by spreading Krishna consciousness, takes on so much karma, in a sense, from the devotees and the disciples that he's taken on, and so much injury to himself. You know, he was stabbed, he had all these different things, and still he maintains the preaching. Still he goes on. With all these different difficulties, he pushes on. That, to me, is, a, is an exceptionally brave personality, spiritually brave, physically brave, and brave in every other sense. So this was, uh, this was very important. So today also is, or this week coming up, is also a very special time for a different group of people, different faith tradition, in that it's Good Friday and Easter coming up. And for the Hindu community, sometimes it's not clear what, how important this day is for Christians. Because this is the time when Lord Jesus was put to death and, you know, so-called rose from the dead. Uh, now, he actually took on so much danger. Again, he knew that he was going to be slaughtered by the Romans. He knew it. 
and still he went ahead. He could have run away, but he didn't. And just to, to do that. Uh, I wanted to read just so you have an awareness of the potency of Lord Jesus. And, and Srila Prabhupada very much appreciated the preaching of Lord Jesus. I wanted to read a little thing that Prabhupada uh, said in seven, 1977 about Lord Jesus. So Prabhupada said, this is going on. Therefore, according to history, Lord Jesus retired. That is resurrection. He went to Kashmir. It is hopeless. So Prabhupada understood that they couldn't kill this pure devotee. So Tamar Krishna Maharaj said, he didn't die on the cross. And Prabhupada said, it is not possible to kill him. Such a great personality. Representative of God. He's not killed. That's not possible. Tamar Krishna Maharaj said, simply by putting some wounds. And Prabhupada, he made a show. Now I am killed. That is resurrection. And when you finish your business, then you will go. And Tamar Krishna Maharaj says, yeah, they say that when he got down, they rubbed his body with oils. He was, Prabhupada, he was such a great yogi. Tamar Krishna, you remember in that book that you were reading? It mentioned how he learned yoga when he came to India. Prabhupada, we admit, Guru Maharaj said, Sakshavesha avatar, powerful incarnation. Therefore, whenever there is a question of Jesus, I never disrespect Jesus, never criticized him, because I know he is a powerful representative of God. We took it from Guru Maharaj, Krishna Maharaj. Your Guru Maharaj was sometimes Prabhupada. He said that Christ is Sakshavesha avatar as Buddha. He can be. He can be. He can be otherwise. He sacrificed everything for God. He cannot be an ordinary man. Prabhupada. This was uh, Prabhupada. Hmm. The Melbourne meeting. It was there. You were present. He's asking Tamar Krishna Maharaj about the Melbourne meeting. Tamar Krishna Maharaj. No, I heard about it with the monks. I think. So Prabhupada went to a monastery here in Melbourne and had a discourse with the monks at that monastery. Prabhupada, they very much appreciated because they saw that I have got full respect for Christ and his real disciples. Prabhupada mentions real disciples. And actually we have, why not, said, thou shalt not kill, and they have misinterpreted killing. That is going on. And they are Christians? Just see how much cheating. It is clearly written, thou shalt not kill. And their only business is killing, and still they are Christians. How much cheating it is. Whatever little success is in our movement, the cause is that I have not tried to cheat. Honestly, what I knew, I heard it from Guru Maharaj and scripture. I took it. There was no cheating. So this was a, a room conversation in April 16, 1977. So Prabhupada had that great respect. And it's good to actually think about these things when other traditions have festival days. You know, Prabhupada was very respectful for all other faith traditions. And, uh, you know, like even today, I mean, today is what? First of April? April, April Fool, <laughs> right? Do you know where April Fool actually comes from? It's biblical. And again, it stems back to this time when Jesus was being persecuted. When he was actually brought before, uh, before um, was it Pontius Pilate, 
Pontius Pilate was the overseer, the Roman overseer of that area in, uh, in Jerusalem. He was brought before him and uh, Pontius Pilate, uh, they said, we want him dead, you know. That he's been, and Pontius Pilate said, I can't see that he's done anything wrong. So they said, send him to the high priest, Caiaphas. How do you go again? Send him to the high priest, Caiaphas. And uh, Caiaphas sent him back to Pilate. So it was like a tit for that. It was like a confusion. So it was like a fool's day. So that's where that whole April Fool comes from. So this is, uh, the other thing is, which is again interesting, and we can use this also in our preaching. You know, when Jesus actually went away, his devotees were enthused to actually keep on preaching the glories. Because when you really study, if you really study the history of Jesus and his teachings, they're not different to actually bhakti yoga. He was a vegetarian. As much as they like to tell you he's not, he was a Nazarene, he was a vegetarian. He believed in reincarnation. He believed in one God and a personal God and a connection with God. And so if we actually, what, what his followers, his early followers were so determined to actually present this knowledge to everyone that you're living a life in illusion. You're not these material bodies, same message. And so they were so enthusiastic about this teaching and the Romans were so opposed to it that they would slaughter them. Anybody been to Rome? Rome? No, it, they've got the Colosseum there in Rome where they killed thousands of Christians from their faith. And they basically in the end just gave up on it because whatever they did to the Christians, all they would do would be sitting and praying and they would be killed. They didn't fight back. They were martyrs. So, you know, when the spiritual master leaves, the, the legacy of his teaching comes on to us. So these people were exceptionally brave to present the teachings. Similarly, there are going to be times, hopefully not in our lifetime, but it may, where we have to actually also be very, very strong and brave of the afflictions that may be put upon us for being devotees of the Hare Krishna faith. That was there in the early days in a moderate sort of way, but it could be worse. So we take heed of that, and a devotee has to be physically brave. A devotee should also be morally brave. No, firstly, a devotee should be psychologically brave. Understanding that we are conditioned souls with many faults and battling the mind and the senses every day with good sadhana. More and the mind is more difficult to control than the wind, as Arjuna points out in Bhagavad Gita. So we have to be diligent. Bravery, on a psychological way, is that we actually analyze ourselves, we become introspective. Am I making some sort of advancement? Am I, and we have to ask our God brothers and sisters, what faults do you see in me? Am I, am I making advancement? And we have to battle the mind every day. It, it's so easy to give up to the mind. It's brave to actually fight the mind when the mind is pushing for sense gratification. You know, Prabhupada said, when sense gratification comes, we have to grit our teeth and bear it. So we have to be very strong in that. It takes bravery. So we have to be brave 
to control their mind and our senses every day. Every day. A devotee should be morally brave, speaking up for what's right, even the truth doesn't sit well with the rest of the world. We have to be morally right. So some people may not like it that we go around saying, I'm sorry, sir, you're not this material body, you're actually a spirit soul. Um, you know, we have to be really powerful in our preaching, you know, and against injustice. The injustice is that there are so many animals being slaughtered. The injustice is that there are so many uh, infants being killed in the womb. The, the injustice is that there is so much sin going on in the world. And our duty is, as devotees, to be brave enough to point this out to society. What's an example of a very, very brave, morally brave devotee? Can anybody give me an example of that? Somebody that was morally brave. Yes, Baru. Huh? There you go. Right. Wow. You know, they were selling, they were selling, they, they could barely have anything, you know, they, they had nothing, you know, like that. And uh, Maharaj was saying, he was saying, uh, you can't sell the wool, you can't sell your cows. And, and they were saying, Maharaj, this is, this is our income, it's the only way that we can survive, we, 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 can't, we have nothing. And Maharaj just stood up and said, it was so brave. They're right. And, and, and the Bangladeshi, they said, no, we're not. So then why sell your cow? Because get another, get another type of income. Don't, don't sell your cow. Rely on Krishna. I was, I was looking at Maharaj and looking at the uh, population of devotees in front of him, and he was prepared to give up his leadership, you know, even to be detached from being a guru and standing on that moral principle. Yeah. sell your daughter and he was he was in that situation where they could have said okay well we don't really need you because you're giving us the wrong advice because we just can't survive but Maharaj just said no that's it that's that's what Krishna wants us to do and that's what it's going to be and if you like it or leave it and he just put it on the line and wow, Gana, thank you very and much. he just stood up and said that's it amazing amazing uncompromising uncompromised that's right and that takes bravery. That takes bravery. So we have to be morally brave, you know. Same with Prahlad Maharaj, you know, this whole episode is about Hiranyakashipu and, and Prahlad. Prahlad was brave and he told the truth to his father. His father was threatening with so many things. And as the different devotees have been saying in the Bhagavatam classes over the last couple of days, you know, that 
he was so absorbed in Krishna consciousness that he didn't even see the danger and the and the and the effect of his uh, uh, the effect that he was, he was having on his teachers and on on his father. No matter what they did to him, he couldn't care less. Okay, throw me in the pit of snakes. I don't care. So being totally absorbed in Krishna is the thing. So from uh, from that we can learn that we have to be very respectful. And as I said also, I have to mention in my interfaith uh, relationships, this month is the month of Ramadan. That's also started this month with devout Muslims called upon to be brave in that they have to practice self-control. Apart from fasting all day, I mean, in some places in the world they fast for, you know, from early in the morning till late at night. Uh, Muslims believe that Ramadan actually teaches them to practice self-discipline self-control, sacrifice and empathy for those who are less fortunate and thus encouraging action of generosity and compulsory charity. So, you know, in all the different faith traditions, it's there. So I basically, from the purport again, during Hiranyakashipu's time, his influence was everywhere, but he could not be forced, but he could not force his influence into places where the Supreme Personality of Godhead had his pastimes. So it's incumbent upon us that we make our homes a place where the Lord resides, travel to the holy dharms as much as we can, stay strong in our Krishna consciousness, be brave in our Krishna consciousness, reach out to others in, other, in all forms of life, and then our life will be successful. We do the best we can. But that point of bravery is something that we should take. We don't hand out medals for bravery. You won't get recognized for being brave. You might get a cheer at Mangal after Guru Puja or something, you know, that you did a big score, you know, uh, you know but that, that's, that's about it. And so, you know, it's an internal thing, but we have to be brave like Srila Prabhupada, perfect example, like the Acharyas, the spiritual masters that are following on in his, in his line, uh, like the early Prabhupada disciples that established this wonderful facility that we have and in, in due course of time it'll be up to us to also be brave in the face of danger and by chanting and diligently following and having association we'll be able to be brave okay I'll stop here Gantaraya Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Srila Prabhupada Ki any comments or questions at all Prabhu's What inspired you? What inspired you to um, come into Krishna consciousness? That's a big one. Um, my whole life, actually from my birth, uh, I've always been interested in spirituality. And uh, when, I, when I was very, very young, uh, I actually died. I died on an operating table for a period of time and then I came back. So I was given a second chance. And the thing that really spurred me on to search out for spiritual life was an incident that happened at uh, primary school. I would have been about nine years old and this bully came up to me and we were in the playground and he punched me in the chest really hard. <coughs> and it winded me, my heart stopped and I felt my consciousness above the trees and my body was there. And I went <gasps> back in the body. 
And ever since that point, I was wondering, I'm not this body. Because we're not, that lump of whatever was down there, but I was there for that split second. So from that point on, my search began. And I was born a Christian, so the first area that I started to research was the saints in Christianity. And I read about all these young kids that, kids, you know, that are here this age who were saintly. And I would love those pastimes. So then something inside of me decided I wanted to worship. It was like an innate sort of desire. And so I set up in my bedroom, I set up this little altar with pictures of all saints and Jesus and Mary and everybody there, you know. And, uh, yeah, seriously. And then um, my, my family, my brothers and sisters said, what are you, nuts or something or what, you know? And I'd go to church and all that. I was an altar boy. And they really criticized me. Even my parents, who were seriously Christian, they thought, you're not normal. <laughs> Why are you doing this, you know, this, this whole thing? So under that pressure, I put it away. When I later, to cut a long story short, I wanted to become a priest in Christianity. I went and did the missions, went to the missions in New Guinea, saw so much hypocrisy that I thought this is not for me. Anyway, long story short, going through all the different gurus and swamis and everything that were there in the 70s and 80s, finally I came across the Prabhupada's Bhagavatam. And the, the yoga group that I was with at that stage, we used to have meditations and then uh, we would have recalling what was happening in our meditations. And after reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, Prabhupada's Bhagavatam, I started to have feelings about Krishna. And so I said, what are your, they said to me, what are, your, what are your experiences in your meditation? I said, well, I start to feel and have a real connection to Krishna. And they said, oh, you better watch out, Bert. My name was Bert. You better watch out, Bert, because you may end up like one of those Hare Krishnas chanting in, the Sw in Swanson Street with a big nappy on. And I remember to this day, my teacher turned, I turned to my teacher and I said, that may not be a bad idea. <laughs> and from that point on, I became a Hare Krishna. We started searching. Now, the interesting thing, the final thing, is eventually I got initiated, Bhakti and I got initiated, we took Brahman. The day after I did Brahman, Korma Prabhu trained me up to do uh, worship. And I worshipped, first I worshipped Gornitai and then Radha, Radha, little Radha Krishna, right? And you sit there and you do the puja. And all of a sudden it flashed back to me when I was that young kid that had the little altar in his bedroom that that was from the past. Somehow or other, I, in a previous life, I had done that before, and it all made sense to me. And from there on in, we just developed our Krishna consciousness and did our service. Does that make sense? Thank you, sir. No way, Hare Krishna. Yeah, go. Hang on, go. How many people were in that group? The fact that they... We had a house. How many? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen? Fifteen. And all those 15 became devotees as well. Yeah, a whole lot. A whole lot. I remember Hari Sori. Everybody knows Hari Sori Prabhu? Hari Sori Prabhu was very influential in getting us to become devotees. Hari Sori Prabhu lives in Mayapur. He's a wonderful devotee. And anybody that's read the last volume of his 
uh, Prabhupada's Leela, you should get a copy of it to really understand how Prabhupada is such a warrior at the last part of his life, what he was thinking and how he was presenting. It's a beautiful book. So Hari Sori was the one that was inspiring us. And he would come to, we had this house, a TM house, Transcendental Meditation House. And after a period of time, we had Jagannath there. So Hari Sori came one time. <laughs> and, uh, and all of a sudden, he started singing uh, Shri Guru Charana Padma. I thought, wow, what's that song? That's wonderful. And we asked him later, why did you sing that? He said, because Prabhupada was there in that house. All 15 of us became devotees. All of us. So that, that place actually, because of his presence and Jagannath became a Tirtha, a holy dham, and, and converted us to, and got, we got the truth. Yes, Baru, you got a question? Any other questions at all? Okay, thank you very much, Prabhu. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Thank you, Yeah. There wasn't the anxiety about parking, 
Obviously, this is it's, the centre is not going to be big enough in the future, but no. but but for the time being, yeah. like Burnett Street and and uh, yeah. even you know, it, it's, things start from a small thing and then build up. Four colours things, uh, from small things to things great. Well, 